To another episode of the ladies room uh this is going to be a little bit of a different episode uh than what we typically do um i know that a lot of you have probably seen the new york times story about the leaked video of rachel nichols talking to lebron lebron james's longtime agent um airing some of her frustrations with the network and what has been uh called racist by a lot of people in her sort of bus tossing of maria taylor um we did a story at Deadspin a year ago, over a year ago, I think, about uh, this piece of video. We had a four-minute segment of it leaked to us, and we wrote about it and made some editorial decisions um, about what we were and were going to do in that piece that has upset a lot of people. Um, so joining us today in the ladies' room, only our third guy, I think. Right, Jane? Third guy? Third or fourth. Third I can't. Yeah. Yeah. But there haven't been many. We we no. have them on extremely selectively. Is our friend Karen Phillips, senior writer over at Deadspin. So Karen, you were the one who initially got this video leaked to you. Um, can you just speak to, I guess, how this whole thing sort of started? Uh yes. And for before I do that, let me just add the only moment of levity we might have today. Um, I should have been the first dude on this podcast, <laughs> given that I created the name. That's uh, true. You so, did. You did. Thanks for nothing, guys. Yeah. Um, but oh, to uh, to get to it. Um, wait, can we cuss on here? Yes, okay. we do. We do. We liberally. It's I'm, required. I am not a bullshitter. Um, so it was. As I detailed in my column, I guess why I put in the text um, of the date and the time. Uh, if you know me in real life, like, are you like my friend friend in real life? My friends always joke with me that about how I delete text threads all the time. Mm -hmm. This is the one, this is the longest single text thread that's ever been in my phone since I've had a cell phone in 10th grade. Like, it has been in there since that night. Um, so for all the people that were like, you sat on this, you didn't do any work. Um, I'm like the amount of conversations and background information and sources and information that I particularly knew about this over a year and how it was front of mind for, it's almost been a calendar 365 is one of the most hilarious things to me because of like this text thread from this number I don't know has literally been looking me in my face every day since that night happened. Um, so this whole idea of this notion of what happened and what's going on right now and will continue to happen to see how this all ends out has been like number one on my story ideas list of, in my notes that I keep in my phone. Um, but yeah, it happened just like I said. Um, I forgot what I was watching on TV that night, but I remember where I was sitting on my couch where I got this text out of nowhere and I was just like, what the hell is this? Who is this? Um, because if you have an iPhone and people send you a video or a photo, it comes up a certain way. Mm -hmm. If you don't, it comes up another way. <laughs> so 
whoever the person or these people are, the four videos, which wound up being like six or eight because they double sent it, but the correct order came through. It was just these little bitty squares with like the play button on it. And the screen image before you press play was just like this red chair, which you saw um, when we put all four of them together and put them in a column. Like, that's what I got. Four little screenshots of this red chair in the middle of the night in the evening it's dark out and i was like whoa what what is what is this like who's watching me what is this um and then talking to whoever it was trying to get them to reveal themselves them giving background on what the information was like i i wrote about all of the quotes in the story from the checkster i still have and i'd be like yes here's the conversation um, this is what they said. And it just kind of went from there of figuring out what the hell is this? Right. And who's talking and, and who are they talking, talking to? Who are they talking to? I'm trying to figure out context clues and maybe the words they use is, 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 is like <laughs> race, gender, identity, sex. Like I'm, tr- I'm just trying to figure out something about yeah, I- who this could be. And I remember us all sort of staring at the chair and being like, is that the same chair she was sitting in during the jump? Like, that's how little information we had. And and one thing that I sort of want to point out to people, because I, the prevailing narrative, I don't know, Karin, exactly what you've gotten, because I've been trying to stay off social media, but mine is, you know, Deadspin and Julie DeCaro in particular made a decision to protect Rachel Nichols over protecting Maria Taylor, which is completely untrue. That is not uh, we would never make a decision like that um <laughs> what i i just want, I want to put, one thing i want to say is that you know people are the new york times spent a year investigating this after our story broke an entire year and they talk about all the people they interviewed and all the anonymous sources and i mean in the new york times has an enormous fact checking department that is able to do things like this verify things we weren't so much able to do that. And I think that going back a year and, and taking a year's worth of investigation and putting it on a story that happened right at the beginning of this is not fair. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, I think it's all about perspective. Um, of course, given the size of our, our staff then, when that happened last summer, compared to what the times has like it's not even i'm not talking about a talent standpoint i'm just talking about like man woman power right um but but yeah um but i i do think looking back that like maybe we should have myself included should have hit pause on a couple things but that that notion is that's the thing that's bothering me the most is that for some reason it doesn't matter who you think wrote it, who was involved writing it, but just this idea that this entity came up with this idea to pick that person over this person, which I'm like, even if you don't know the individuals that were involved in the conversation or, or did, I would never let something like that slide, given my reputation and what I've done with my platform. Um, and the fact that the number one thing that has been the most hilarious to me is that for the first time ever publicly, 
I revealed in my column that I got banned <laughs> from the airways of ESPN since like 2018 for literally doing what I did in my piece yesterday, like defending Maria Taylor and Black employees at ESPN, which has stopped me from getting potential money for TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, if I'm the same person that did that, like, why would I be okay in us being like, no, screw her, let's protect Rachel Nichols, when the little that we did have, we knew there was something there that could have been off, or was this just career uh, competitiveness? But it, was, it wasn't an, anything what was there, which is public now that we share for the four minutes. There was nothing there for us to be like, oh, okay, we're going to pick this person and protect this person, and that person would just have to figure it out themselves. Right. And that's the mind-blowing thing to me. It's just like, did anybody stop and think? You know, I went back and reread it um, this morning because I haven't been able to bring myself to reread it since. And um, the one thing that I wish we hadn't said was there's nothing in this video to sh- to say that Nichols um, was either backstabbing or being a fake ally. I mean, I think that that's the paragraph that people are really sort of hinging on. And, and so I just wanted to sort of speak to that a little bit. I think that, you know, this was right at the beginning of everything happening on Zoom. And when we got this, and I don't know if we've made this clear, but, you know, we didn't know who sent it to us. I think now there's information out there about who recorded it and who sent it around, but we did not know that. And for all we knew, we had a, another Aaron Andrews situation on our hands that we had but, someone but recording. Even- but right? even with that, Julie, it's like, I still don't know who recorded, like, which is why I spent a, a considerable time on the name that's been out. And I'm like, we, we didn't know who this person was. Right. We had no idea if they did it. I didn't know this person existed. All I know from the times was that the person they listed said they gave it to Maria. Now, that person could have got it from someone else because it feels like anyone who had access to that could have done the screen grab. So I'm just like, I, to this day, this is the question I've been getting, I got last year, and the question I've been getting for like the last 36 to 72 hours from people that know, like, do you know who it was that texted you? And I'm like, I still do not have a clue in hell where this came from at all. Yeah. But yes, to your point, when we got it and everything was over Zoom, yes, it felt very weird and it did feel like some Aaron Andrews stuff. Yeah, because it's like we're all in this weird situation where we're Zooming and nobody wants their colleagues listening into their private conversations and then sending it around and being like, do you know what so-and-so said about you kind of thing? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's, you know, worthy to, to go back and look and say, did we do this right? Did we get it right? And I, you know, I sort of agree, Karin, like I, I you know, looking back on it, I, I wish that we had waited and I wish that we had maybe done a little more investigation and try, but I don't know that that would have gotten us anywhere because I chased this story. Um, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've said this publicly, but the day after that story aired, I got a bunch of phone calls from women um, at ESPN and from women outside ESPN um, who thought that we made uh, Rachel Nichols look like a victim and they disagreed that that was the case. Um, so I tried to get people, will you talk on background? Will you talk off the record? Nobody was willing to say anything. Um, and, you know, eventually, you know, you chase stories around and then you know at some point you have to let him go and and that was one that i let go and maybe i did that too soon i don't know i i listen i had those same conversations with 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 probably different people and 
Um, I've been seeing a lot of tweets <laughs> being like um, directed personally at me. Like, why didn't you write this a year ago? And I'm like, <laughs> what I wrote a year ago, I mean, what I wrote yesterday was what I was trying to write a year ago, but it was like, it, 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 I will never forget that day in that meeting we had in our Zoom when I was like, I wish I had that other 16 minutes mm-hmm. for the rest of that tape. Um, because it was like, like, yeah, like you, and when you're chasing the story down, I don't necessarily, because it was in my phone, I didn't think I set it down. I just, like, it was like a table, right? It was next to me and I just slid it over. Yeah. It was still on the table. I still, it was like a salt and pepper shaker. I saw it every day. I might not have been using salt because, you know, I'm trying to cut back and be healthy. <laughs> but the salt was on my table every day. It yeah. was just that I was like, okay, I don't have anything to pour this salt on right now. But it's there. Yeah. When I have something, I'll go get the salt. It's an arm's length. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, did we do some things we should have done differently yes um i also think there are a lot of lessons in this um of a, a, a lot of growth potential in this and it's just one of those situations where and like this is my personal creed motto i don't give a shit about intent all i care about is execution but i think looking back this is one of those things where our intent wasn't good but i don't think we necessarily executed in every way we should and that like that's including me and everyone else and i think if we all sat down and been like okay and i'm not saying that we that like we we were trash we were poor but it was like okay if we got a b minus or b plus on this could we have somehow got an a a plus and that's the kind of way i'm looking at it if that makes sense yeah i think that's right and and the other thing i sort of would like people to understand i think is that you know, reporters can't just write whatever they want, right? Especially when you get information that is this sort of um, explosive. You know, you a, a whole mechanism kicks in. There's, you know, a lawyer has to review stuff. Um, our editor-in-chief was involved. Jim Rich, who's his boss, was involved. I mean, this wasn't just Deadspin firing off something. We made uh, editorial decisions and we discussed them at length. And, um you know, I understand why people can look at this and just say, oh, you picked Rachel Nichols over Maria Taylor. You guys are racist. Like, I I understand that. And I think that there is valid criticism. Um, But, you know, I I do want people to understand the way that, you know, the editorial process works when when this happens and that um, there are other voices chiming in on this as well that people maybe don't know about. So when they look at a headline and they just see, you know, the, the author's name or the reporter's name on there, when there's something like this, just know that, you know, there are other people involved as well. And and I guess I'm saying that just because, um, you know, despite the fact that there are four names on that byline, of which mine is one, um, I've seen a ton of people being like, you know, of course, Julie DeCaro did this. This is what she does, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa, like, I, that is not true. I did not make this decision. I was part of the conversation, but there's a lot of people involved in, in how we decided to present this story. And like I said, you know, criticism is valid. I think that, you know, we, I certainly have been criticized, critic, yeah, critical of other outlets and the way they've handled stories. And I feel like, you know, if you want to be in this industry, you better be able to take it as well as dish it out. So I'm, um, you know, trying to, to sort of 
do the autopsy in my brain and figure out where we went wrong, where we could have done this differently. Uh, but I, I do want people to know that I was not the one driving this story and saying, let's protect Rachel Nichols at all costs. That's just not the way this went down. And also just like from a, a criticism standpoint, like no one's above reproach, right? Literally no one. I'm a columnist. It would be against who I am to say I can't be criticized. Like, right. I, I can't have my time <laughs> on that summer jam screen. And, and it's my turn. Given that when people mess up, like I'm usually the one that, that, that gets you um, with receipts and the fact. So look, it is, you, you can't, like you say, you can't play in the mud. And then when you get dirty a little bit, you run and complain like, no, like it's either you're built for it for the good and the bad, or you're not. But I'm, I'm not running or hiding or going anywhere. I, I, I stand on my morals. I stand on my resume. I, I stand on the work that I put in. And it's like, yeah, um, are there a lot of things from this that I would take and go forth? Yeah, I think we all, I know we all will. Um, but yeah, this is just one of those pivotal moments in working your career where it's like, okay, what is the lesson from this? And that's, that's how I'm taking it. And one of the things that I would say to that is, you know, no one wants to get a story wrong. And also, you know, nobody wants to have a piece of information drop in their lap and, and not be able to suss out more about it. And, and I, what I'd say is that, you know, this was obviously, well, probably sent to you for the same reason that the numbers of Maria Taylor's contract were sent to the post a couple of days <laughs> before the New York Times story broke. There are clearly people, you know, I, and I think ESP, the atmosphere at ESPN kind of lends itself to this, where you're constantly having to jockey, whether it's, you know, management or agents or talent, constantly trying to jockey um, to gain a spot or keep a spot. And, and it does, it leads to things like this being leaked or sent to an outside news, you know, ESPN's a news outlet, but these are sent to outside news outlets because um, I think because the atmosphere inside is quite poisonous when it comes to competition and to the political aspect of it. And no one wants to be, you know, manipulated by a source without kind of understanding what their intention is and, you know, kind of you, you guys got the the tip of the iceberg on it and the entire iceberg was something that was pretty different um, once it all came out. But, you know, it's, it's impossible without the time and the resources to be able to figure that all out. Yeah. And like, with, oh, like for instance, a great example is that post story, right? Um, you know, I've had some uh, birds in my ear uh, say to me that the numbers some of the numbers that were discussed in that story, there were some of the, you know, the headline grabbers that people are, that peaked their, raised their eyebrows, are not true at all. Um, so, like, yes. The, you, the saying that Maria Taylor was hoping to get, quote, Stephen A. Smith money, that was yes. the Yes. Right. So, um, and then there was the other, the other thing that disadvantaged her was suggesting that ESPN had decided she wasn't worth that much and wasn't going to offer that much to her anymore, which is, it's clearly a story that is meant to devalue her Mm -hmm. and to hurt her in her negotiation for her upcoming contract, which is, you know, part of the reason that just 
based on the story that came out that the Times um, was able to do is that, you know, this all damages Maria Taylor in her negotiation with ESPN and whoever her next employer is going to be. And I think that's part of what's so pernicious about this is that, unfortunately, you know, even though there are a lot of people who are going to back Maria Taylor, you know, ethically, morally, for her stance, for her work ethic, for her job, the job that she's done, for her potential, for all of that, you know, when it comes to her negotiation with future employers, it doesn't benefit her to have all of this out there. Nobody, you know, wants to be negotiating from a point of transparency like that. Right. Definitely. And, and like, it's even, I'm a person that's always like, likes to pay attention to when things or news happens in, in the context of other things that might be happening in that same vacuum. And I just couldn't help but to like chuckle at the fact that while this has been like the dominating story um, of the week, and like you just said, Jane, um, this Black woman, her contract, um, what she's worth, <laughs> her value is being discussed openly. And then this morning, the Nicole Hannah-Jones story drops. Right. Um, and her decision, I'm just like, oh, here we go again, a Black woman and her worth, and what do you do with it? And which is, has just been, um, as a Black person, as a Black man, as a person that tries to defend Black women as much as I can, it's just like the flagrantness of the disrespect is just so alarming right now. And I just hope that's, one of the narratives of all of the narratives that happen right now that, that sticks with people and they're paying attention to just like pay attention to what's happening in this moment and what's happened before. And so that let's try to make these moments not happen again or as less as possible. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, obviously exactly right. And I, I, you know, one of the things to me that's so upsetting about this is that I don't want to contribute to that, you know, so I, I, you know, I, like I said, I've been thinking about, you know, what we did wrong and what we could have done differently and what I could do differently. And, you know, one of the things about this video is that when you see a woman saying, and one of the few women who have made it, I would say, you know, to the top in terms of, um, you know, Rachel having her own show on ESPN and being a, a name that that is, you know, household name that people recognize in sports, um, saying, I, when I looked at that video, I didn't take it as much about Maria as I took it about the fact that they were saying, all right, here's one, we want to get this woman in. Let's get rid of this woman instead. And I sort of was like, screw that. Get rid of one of the men. Why can't we have a bunch of women doing the NBA finals? And, and obviously one of the things I know about myself is that I tend to look at things through a lens of gender rather than it, it, gender first race you know, further down the line. And that's something I've learned about myself in, in this and it's something that I have been learning over the course of the past couple of years that is a blind spot that I have that I need to do better at. So, I mean, I hope that what comes out of this is that we all sort of just think back of, you know, what what happened, what, if anything, we would have done differently, what we take away from this. So, Karn, what are you taking away from it? Um, <laughs> Twitter is a great and terrible place. <laughs> I mean, um, but we've always known that. Um, and and I joke when I say that, but I, seriously too, like it's it's a it's a wonder. Um, social media in in everything about it, like it it does wonders. It has changed the world, and there are also times where you're just like, "What the hell? Like, leave me alone." Um, 
but you got to take the good with the bad, right? Um, even if you did something and even if sometimes you didn't, right? But with me, the thing that's been sticking with me the most is, like I said, just, um, and I'm always intentional, but being more intentional, um, that hitting pause, because I think for me, you know, I think this is a great example of hindsight being 2020, right? Because like you said, Julie, this morning, you, you reread it again, right? A year later. Mm-hmm. And you go back. So even like old stuff I've written, I'll read and be like, why the fuck did I write that? Or why did I have this line? Oh, I'm stupid. And with this situation, I'm just like, okay. At that moment and what we were trying to do after the relaunch, it just felt like, hey, we got something. Right. (laughs) And we're going to do this the right way. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Like the intent was so pure and good. And it was like, okay, we're going to handle this. And in that excitement and in that joy, I think that's where it's like, oh, we should have maybe hit pause on this part and wait a little bit here. But in that moment, man, it was just like, yes. Okay. Let's do this guys. And I think that that is the thing that's going to stick with me that the next time that situation happens to be like, boom, this is great. This is awesome. Everybody take a beat, take a breath like that. And then boom, let's go from there and be super, super intentional about next steps. And that's what's sticking with me. I totally feel that all of that. And I mean, one of the things too, is like you get tired of getting scooped by the bigger guys, right? Because they, because I mean, like a lot of us, I mean, I have had in just the past couple of months, a bunch of stories that I had that I've gotten scooped by bigger outlets and you get sick of it, right? I mean, you get tired of watching the people that have like all the fact checkers and a team full of lawyers and all these people helping them get the story that you had at the same time. So it's, it's, you know, I mean, some of that is like our own competitiveness. Um, but I think it's it's a very human thing. And yeah, I, I totally understand when you're working for a smaller outlet and you get the story, mm-hmm. you, you want to run with it. Of course you do. You're a reporter. And like, listen, that is a question that I'm not putting the onus on you, Jane, but it's like the professor. <laughs> like, I would love to... Look, when I was in grad school at Syracuse for this, for all the people that think I don't know shit about this, come help me pay these crazy <laughs> model loans I have to from this master's degree I have from the best journalism school on earth since you think I don't know shit. Um, but listen, man, what I learned in school and what I was doing in school about reporting, storytelling, journalism, and social media and how you do stuff in 2010, 2011, it's probably archaic now. And there- that's what I thought about with you. I was like, how, when you're dealing with your students, do you teach them those things of being like look you still have to do the process but with the speed of social media and how quickly you can break stuff does that change the rules does that make you double down on the rules anymore because listen i was on the other side of this i remember I was I was running the opinion pages in Delaware at the News Journal Delaware online. Like we were the state publication. And that 2016 election, and I was covering the DNC and I was full into politics for like a year, year and a half. 
And we used to have so many editorial board meetings about television and newspapers um, and how Trump was being covered. And I remember um, our publisher, she kept asking me this question, like, Carl, like, why are they covering him like this? Why, like, he's just saying this, this crap? Like, why is nobody, like, cutting the mic off? Which, you know, publications start doing at the very end. And I was like, because he breaks the rules of journalism. She was like, what do you mean? I was like, look, we're taught dog bites man, that's not news. Man bites dog, that's news. And I was like, Trump is the man biting the dog every day. <laughs> so while you think it's garbage, it's like, this is newsworthy until you had to realize that some of the stuff he was doing was like, all right, let's not necessarily follow this fundamental with him because this is a different person that is changing the scope of how you cover something. So I understand how that works to where now I'm wondering the same things with social media, like, okay, do we need to change some of these principles or do we double down on them anymore? And those are questions I'm asking myself all the time. I, I think you have to, when it comes to a story like this, I think you have to double down on the principles because speed is not your friend on mm -hmm. something like this. And, and also I think the thing with social media that's changed things up a bit is that there's more partial reporting. If you get a piece of the story, you might be inclined to put it on Twitter because you want to make sure that you're consolidating your value as a reporter to get things out there to be the first to break something. Um, but with something like this, I think it, it's, it's, a, it's a confuse. It's a, con, it's well, until you have the full context, know who the players are know what the contract situation of the individuals on the tape are, you know, talk to the principals in the video, have, you know, a better understanding of the context. It's hard to even understand what that video is about. And then you're thinking about, well, who taped it off of the internal server at ESPN? Who released it? Is that the same person? You know, I think there are lots of, you know, there are lots of different factors to this that can make it a really challenging story to report. I like, I like the idea of having it, you know, be more collaborative than having an individual have to decide, you know, how to, you, you, to have one person write up a story like this, or, or even, you know, just a few people over a short period of time, you know, that's really challenging. And I do think it kind of harkens back to some of these like deep breath, old school journalism principles that are, are still valuable, even though I think the methodology of how you report news has changed and also the medium through which your reporting news has changed. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, this story was a lightning rod on a lot of different levels, you know, race, gender, ESPN. And in that way, I think even just getting a video like that's kind of, kind of intimidating because you realize what the implication of it can be, what it could mean, the eyeballs that it could generate. And, that, and it means you're, on, you're kind of on a tightrope. Uh, you're walking a tightrope to get this thing done. And, um, and I, I just think, you know, those are, those are difficult conditions to work under. Um, and it also, you know, it, it is, you, you know, you talked about it earlier. That is the, um, that is the, not the down. I mean, I don't know how to say it exactly, but that is, that is the other flip side of being a columnist, you know, and to being a news outlet is that when you don't, nail it down 100% and the stakes are this high, then, you know, you take the heat. 
Yeah. And I think it's okay. Like, I think we are, you know, willing to take the heat. And we, you know, I think part of the reason that Karn and I both wanted to, you know, talk about this on the pod is that we want people to know that we aren't just doubling down and being like, oh, you know, screw all you people that certainly there are things people are criticizing that we take issue with because we're like, no, that's not how it happened. But, you know, I think that any outlet that, that doesn't look itself in the mirror and ask itself, did we get it right? What should we have done differently? It is not worth reading. So, you know, to people who, you know, feel disappointed by the way that we covered the story, um, you know, given what we had, if we did it over, I don't know how much we would have done differently because to, to dig further, you have to know that there's more to dig into. And, you know, when someone sends you an anonymous video, it's, is this, are they sending this as video because of what was said? Are they sending us the video so that we know someone's taping Rachel Nichols without her knowledge? Right. Do you know, we didn't know. And, and that was what we sort of decided the story was, was that someone was taping Rachel Nichols without her knowledge. Um, you know, but uh, of course, criticism is valid. And, and you know, as, as, you know, people who work for me, you know, an outlet that is basically here to serve the public and inform the public, we've got to sort of look it right in the face and, and ask ourselves if we got it right. And that's so, like the the oh, I'm sorry, Jane. The the notion that like we touched on earlier, like when that's for a year ago, I thought there were going to be like two, three more pieces coming, and then it was like all these phone calls and all this background work was doing, and then it was like eventually, like you said, like I set it to the side, but it was like it kind of just like went dry for a little bit. And while I was still thinking about it and like figuring out how to crack it, the the like the aura in the air kind of left, and I was just kind of like, "Well, damn!" Like I I just felt like maybe somebody out there who knew what this was or who who knew who sent it, but I would get another call or something, and it just kind of, and then it was like, boom, Monday or Sunday, I was just like, "Oh, okay." It, 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 it's the aura's back. Here we go. Well, I do think this is really, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, you know, who among us hasn't made, you know, written a story or misinterpreted something or seen something that we wish we could have a do over on. I mean, the point is that you learn from these things and go forward and, you know, are able to improve. And then that's, you know, that's all any of us are trying to do in this business. That's, that's, that is a hundred percent correct. But as as I have always known, and it has become readily clear over the last couple of days, because um, sometimes you forget about it when you're in it. Sometimes I forget about how so many people don't know, like how this business works. And Absolutely. That, has been a thing. that has been a thing that I've been like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, Cause I'm, yeah. cause what, I'm just so used to it, like knowing the rules and all right, if you do this, if you do something bad, this is what happens. If you do something good, this is what happens. And with this, like, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot like the nuance of how things work. The general public usually doesn't understand or, or ever knew. Well, and one of the things too is that the general public believes that that outlets just pr- just do whatever they want. They don't, you know, everything's partisan. They don't they don't think like, okay, this has got to go through always this. Always an agenda, right? They don't think this has got to go through this many levels of fact checking, and this lawyer didn't sign off on this, and so you can't talk about that. But you can talk about that, you know. I mean, like people just don't understand. I think the amount of editorial um, 
control that, that happens. You know, I can't say whatever I want. It's, it's going to go to my editor and my editor in chief's going to look at it. And, you know, I mean, he's got to sign off on it. So it's like, it, I can't just say, even though a lot of outlets that aren't associated with anybody do this, right. They just say whatever they want. So, you know, a smaller shop could come out and say, you know, and, and, and here's the other question I have is like, if we had just, if we had gone the other way with the story, the story is basically, uh, Maria Taylor, guess what Rachel Nichols said about you? You know, I mean, that's it. Is that a story? I don't think that's a story. And I, I know, know, Julie, that you don't ever want to play into this whole kind of like catfight headline. Right. Which I think would have been very tempting for, you know, some outlets to do with that video. And obviously this is, you so you're recognizing that the story is more layered. Um, well, and I, yeah. And I also thought that, you know, I think that when we're talking to our agents or we're talking to an advisor, we probably have all thrown out names of people that frustrate us because, you know, for whatever reason. And that is what I saw when I looked at that. I mean, I certainly have been talking to my agent and been like, how come this person's on this show? You know, she doesn't even know what she's talking about or he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Like, I, I think that I, I don't know. And maybe I identified with it a little bit too much, but I, I you know, I, I certainly have been in that position where I've referenced people by name that, that, you know, are, you know, that just out of sheer frustration that this industry is so competitive. Um, and, and I certainly understand why people, you know, read and, and see racism in what she said. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. Well, and I think Julie, as, as white women in this business, you know, we need to really make sure that we're being sensitized. Um, you know, I think Rachel in that video did recognize the dynamics that she was working under, but she didn't recognize how she was playing into them by saying that Maria Taylor was getting the shot because of her identity, because she's a black woman, as opposed to because of the hard work and the excellence. Right. And we didn't have that. She's a generational talent. I mean, it's been said and I don't have to reiterate it. And that's, part of the reason I think that's the reason that she's being now is, is, is Rachel correct in, in saying that ESPN has a huge problem with diversity. I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, but she was playing into the power dynamic problem by talking to somebody that Maria Taylor would need in order to succeed in the business as well. Right. Yes. Yeah, I agree with all that. It's like when you're black in America and you're talented at black in America, um, and the whole you got to be two times better notion thing, right? Um, yeah. Which, you know, people still grow their eyes and it's like, no, shit, sometimes you got to be like three times better. Um, but like, like here's an example. I tell people all the time, because like I've, I've spoken on panels about like diversity in our industry and all this. And I've, I've told hiring managers this and I have not. And I simply said, it's been blunt, it's plain as I'm about to be right now. I was like, I know bad white journalists. I don't know a single bad black one. I was like, because we can't afford to be. Mm-hmm. And the thing with this situation with Maria was it's like, like Jane said, she's a generational talent. And it's like, if you're frustrated, cool. If you're career competitive, cool. Because I am super career competitive. But like, it's not that you took the shot at another woman. It's not that you took the shot at another black woman. It's that you took a shot at the black woman who is the generational talent. 
And it's like, okay, if you go throw a dig at somebody, cool, but like you can't throw the dig at that one. Like, mm. th- not her. <laughs> somebody else over there, mm, maybe, probably not. It probably would have still been not cool. But, but her, it's like, nah. Like, wait, she, she, she hosts how many, how many shows? Sideline reporter for how many shows? How many sports? And it's like, like, what's her weakness? Oh, she doesn't have one? It's like, yeah, you can't, you can't do that. And, and that's the nerve that's, that's striking people of color, black people, black women, is that you can be the genera- generational talent in your industry. You can do everything right and still get hit with like a jab that's like soul crushing. And you're like, but I did everything right. I was three times better. I checked all the boxes. I dotted every I and crossed every T and I still got to deal with the bullshit. Well, ask, we had Carrie Champion on this podcast talking about, you know, and that's some of what she talked about. You know, I think she also another, another one who, you know, has that absolute facility and talking to people and doing interviews, knowing her shit and, you know, and, and still also had the same kind of political issues that she dealt with mm-hmm. um, inside as well. It's, it, and that is, that is the problem. I think if you look, you know, if you look at ESPN is that it doesn't, it is, it doesn't know how to um, create a, a, a work environment that makes people feel like they're being treated fairly. Yeah. It's, it's, it was a headline of one of the stories that got me banned. Like who was the greatest day of diversity numbers are against everyone else in this industry in sports. Like they value black bodies, not necessarily black minds. And if they value your ideas um, and the coolness factor you bring to the network, they're still never going to, um, compensate you and not necessarily in a monetary form correctly for what you have given the company and what you have brought to them and the type of of coolness factor or just the things like that like i'll never forget being at a a a convention right and it was right after Stuart scott died um and i'm there as a diversity fellow and i overheard an editor once say um because we were at the bar and ESPN was on and they were doing some like memorial for Stuart Scott. Something was on. And one of the guys was like, I just, I mean, the guy was good, but all of this, I think it's a little overkill. And it like took everything in mean for me, like not to flip the bar over. Cause I'm like, mm. yeah, there's so many shows or programming that you don't know that he affected that you like, but you think this is overkill. And I'm like, me here being on this diversity panel and the, the handful of black people in this room that I can count on one hand with fingers left over, like that is a part, like I, I'd never met Stuart, never had a conversation with him. Saw him at NABJ a couple of times back in the day, but like I, 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 the day he died, like I cried my ass off over a person I had never met. It's the only time I've I've cried over somebody I never met. And the reason I cried was the day Stuart Scott died was the day before I started my job in Delaware, which was like my second full-time job in the industry. And I had got it within 12 months um, after being 
after the entire industry told me I wasn't good enough and didn't want to hire me for, for two and a half years with two degrees, right? And I was like, that was the first person for an entire generation that we saw on TV in our industry that got to succeed by being themselves. So it wasn't like everybody was trying to be the next Stuart Scott. It was like, oh, it's possible to be Black and on TV or in this industry. And once you see that it's possible, like that changes your whole scope for what you can accomplish. So like that's, that's a game changer. That's a pivotal. That's a generational talent. And so when he passed, it was just like, am I even in this industry? Am I even getting this job? If it's not for him or people saying that, oh, shoot, hey, we can't hire the black dude or we can't hire the black woman. They're, they're not going to screw this up. They are cool and professional, like, because he was that example to so many people that didn't know us or refused to know us. Um, and it's just like, look, when those things, man, when you have those people, the importance of them can never be fully explained. It's one of those things where, like, you just got to feel it because I'm not able to, to say half the shit. I say now, in this year, if it wasn't for all the ones that came before me, it made it a little bit easier. I think that is a, a powerful and poignant place to leave it. Uh, Karen Phillips, thank you so much for, for the work you do, um, for your leadership over at Deadspin, and, and of course, for joining us here on The Ladies Room. Give Karen a follow over on Twitter at Karen J. Phillips. Read his work at Deadspin. Don't send him nasty messages. He gets enough <laughs> of those. Uh, you can give us a follow on Twitter at Julie DeCaro and at Jane Sports. And of course, read all three of us over at Deadspin. Thanks so much uh, for listening, for, for joining us today here in The Ladies Room.